0: That each planet has a certain sort of influence on the surrounding space around it and that all of that surrounding space around each planet uh, in each of their positions as well as the entire disc itself is all space moving
1: okay guys welcome back to the grand america show we're going to be chatting with adam apollo a little bit later uh, funny we would be recording the Intro, 50 years during the Apollo 11 mission. Anyway, Adam Paul is on the show. We're talking Resonance Foundation, another art crystal pops into our lives, and a bunch of Adam's other stuff. Fantastic chat. Great stuff. Um, We got a good little intro here too. Graham's got a little chemtrail segment. He's going to, we might let him do. No, no, no.
2: I said geoengineering.
1: Okay, whatever. Uh, We got Graham. Solar radiation management. Baker, maker Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Not bad. You're officially a hoaxer.
2: I'm a hoaxer. Yeah. I'm a hoax and tattooer. I'm a think it before you ink it, guy.
1: Yeah, you know you're a hoaxer. I'm just is, trying it on for
2: size before I make the decision. I thought you made a pact with Grimsteak. Yeah, I don't I'm not getting a tattoo.
1: Darren's just no. talking about a fake tattoo I got. We talked about a last intro, so most yeah, people know. carry it.
2: Well, maybe, maybe people don't listen Graham to have got that a was. fake
1: tattoo. He's been trying to sell it off as a real tattoo.
2: Didn't I didn't have to try very hard. Darren's just like, oh yeah, nice. Hmm. <laughs> just
1: assumed you got a tattoo. It's not a big deal. So this is the little intro I spot. For, I guess for think before you ink people, it is a big deal. Just for, you know, just for,
2: uh, this is what we do before the show. Like a little intro, oldest.
1: little housekeeping. With little grab. Get
2: some people involved, get some listeners little involved. Little
1: stories, little synchros. Yeah. Little attitude. You can
2: fast forward to the Adam Apollo interview if you want, or you can stick around for lazy ramblings.
1: There'll be a timestamp in the show notes. Yeah. Just go there, click that. There yep. you go.
2: This is a great chat
1: with Adam. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah.
2: It really builds upon the martial efforts thing. Like both these guys talking when we talked to them, they, I had things click, you know, I had like <clears throat> the spooky action at a distance of our thoughts and resonance. Like it, it just, I love it when we have these chats and things click, like it clicks more for me talking to them than all the research I do prior to the chat.
1: For me, it's usually already clicked. <laughs> Not just, kidding. well, on that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Oh, whatever. Like the, uh, don't start backing on backing out of it now. <laughs> the, the nature of uh, well, just the universal the stuff. Oh, the, oh, yeah. The, the uh, I don't know what the word for it is. The physical. Um,
2: yeah, you're, you're talking about the unified field theory kind yeah. of stuff that clicks for you.
1: Well, it's very similar to relativity. Relativity in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's very no, similar. It's not, not really. Sure, it is. Mm -hmm. They share the same structure. Otherwise, one of them wouldn't be, otherwise, both of them wouldn't be possible. One of them couldn't replace the other one if they didn't share a lot of the same fundamental properties. No? Do you disagree?
2: Yeah, but I I think that's the problem. That's the problem is that the whole, the fundamental properties is different. Dark energy, dark matter, that's why that's all there, right? To make up, to make up that, put the, Fill in that
1: the gap. We're just filling it up with sacred geometry now. <laughs> no, it's more than that. It's all triangles, tetrahedrons. Yeah, so that could be ether,
2: could yeah. not it? Yeah, that's what it is. That's that's, that's or what dark they're saying. Energy. That's what this is saying.
1: Or dark energy.
2: Dark matter. Or it's dark just matter. A, it's just a
1: triangles of dark matter.
2: At least they're defining it now. Yeah, it's improving it.
1: That's I it. think in a way. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think it differs that much. It's a different theory, but whereas I think like electric universe is like totally overthrowing the thing. I think going from like unified, I would look at unified as being more of a progression to relativity. Whereas like electric universe would or holographic universe is just like a complete upending of. Well, you there's
2: a point there that you're right because we're going back to the ether, which was, you know, popular over a hundred years ago, 125 years ago or whatever. So we cycle, we're cycling back around to that in a way that we're describing how we're all connected. Whereas the, that's what I don't like about the other model is it doesn't, it doesn't show that we're connected. It says we're not. There's just dark matter out there. The vacuum. It
1: just connects us. It's connected to it dark matter.
2: It doesn't. Otherwise we wouldn't be this fucking materialistic problem that's, that's, all about us and the ego and you know there's no spiritual relevance to that
1: well it's just gonna take us a long time to get there it's
2: we're, we're there it's coming well,
1: with these guys you know, like adam apollo but and it took a long Marshall time leverage. it took a long time and we're no, not didn't. quite there. it only took like five decades it took like fucking twenty thousand years, bro, or at no, least already there. Like, if you're going to assume, assume we had the eastern this, eastern
2: religions and the eastern, the mystical traditions. That's because had it they were right left before. over
1: from the last end of the world. Yeah,
2: exactly. And then we slipped and out we over. And we just didn't take that years. shit.
1: We didn't take that shit serious enough.
2: I think it's from the the industrial revolution till now.
1: <laughs> I think it's worse than that. No.
2: Even the even the spiritualist and the, there was quite a quite a lot of that in the late 1800s. Like we weren't quite materialistic as we are now. Really? They they, they 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 buried the ether. Motherfuckers!
1: And now it's coming back. No. All right. Do you want the clip cord right off the bat, or do you want me to play some jingles first? I'm scared to get the clip cord. You're scared? Yeah. I gave you a complex. You got a clip cord complex now? Okay,
2: let's do it. You want to do that
1: first? Yeah, but I, uh-oh, what's going on? I think it's uh, updating. Graham is an all believer in chemtrails. Graham is an all-in believer in chemtrails. Here you go.
2: This isn't about that. It's about weather modification for the most part. Well, I don't
1: have a weather modification jingle. Well, maybe we should. You make one?
2: one? Well, let's manifest one.
1: Okay. Felix, Felix, Felix,
2: Felix, Felix. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from, uh, here's a quote for you. Quote? Yeah. Who said this? It lays the predicate and foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer, and ultimately to control the weather. He who controls the weather will control the world.
1: Eisenhower.
2: Close. <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson. Fuck. You've got like two answers. It's like Eisenhower <laughs> or Tesla or like. How dare you?
1: I nail him sometimes. <clears>
2: he <throat> that was from May twenty seventh,
1: nineteen sixty two. I missed them by one. Because Eisenhower was president in what, 59, 59 to 62? So Johnson would have just took over. I could have that totally backwards. Are we doing more quotes now, or I thought we were doing like you're gonna play? Yeah, something?
2: I'm playing a jingle, okay. but th- it starts with a quote. This is just from an article that I that I was reading on aircraft.org, and it, they have videos in here of people talking about fucking with the weather and all that. This is Jim Lee, actually. Military chemtrails are, are artificial clouds and directed energy weapons, and he's got some FOIA stuff in
3: here. Cloud seeding operations, 1970. Please don't sue dot, us, Jim. 1970. <laughs> um, and then using uh, weather modification by carbon dust absorption and solar energy, using carbon d- black dust to steer hurricanes, 1976. Back I believe it is. 76. Yes. Um, acid rain. But let's get to the important stuff. So here are the FOIAs. That, that this is the undeniable truth about the military side of weather warfare. This is from a Freedom of Information Act request, SpaceCast 2020. Um, And in it, it said, Previous Russian weather modification effort redacted, big block missing. And then it said, This demonstrated the ability to generate infrared-defeating clouds, effectively denying overhead surveillance. So this was talking about, A long time ago, Russia creating clouds to block out spy satellites. This makes sense. This makes total sense. This is from 1994, and this comes from the Sunshine Project. They did a FOIA. U.S. Air Force Freedom of Information Act Request document titled, Weather Modification Using Carbon Black. Proposed by U.S. Air Force Phillips Laboratory Geophysics Directorate to achieve precipitation enhancement to create cirrus clouds and to dissipate fog and low clouds. Employed precipitation enhancement techniques to muddy the Ho Chi Minh Trail, reducing the flow of supplies in North Vietnam. So this was actually also used during Vietnam, allegedly. So, carbon black dust. U.S. Naval Warfare Center is up next. U.S. Naval Warfare Center non-lethal warfare proposal, weather modification by the Naval Air we- we Weapons Station. We just Jim show on our China show now? Lake here.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna play Jim show on our show. Excellent.
1: This is good. <clears throat> we should just play everyone's show on our show. We'll just play different parts of all of them. We don't have to do anything. That's what's missing here. What? What's missing?
2: It just played everybody's show on our show. I agree. No, this is a great. I'm just going to review this a little bit. This is uh, the single fuel concept from NATO, and it's a history lesson, 1988 to 1997, and talks about uh, additive tests beginning in the 1994 and the conversion to the JP-8 complete. Um, and it, it's very interesting when you look at all the FOIAs and how much they've been doing for weather modification and the uh, militarization of this. All over the world. So, and you're going to tell us that we're the problem. Yeah. So, i got another one here. It's from Dr. This is another video. And it's talking about how NASA studies show that... Oh, you said it properly. Increasing persistent jet contrails may turn into man-made clouds that are trapping warmth in the atmosphere. And exacerbating global warming. So, I thought it was to cool it. Well but done. Now they're saying the artificial clouds, NASA says they're exacerbating the problem.
1: Well done on your NASA pronunciation.
2: Yeah, that's all you fucking care about, eh? Don't I, even... I don't even want to high-five you, man. How you're not dare even paying, you? You're not even treating this...
1: You've won me over already, and we're just...
4: ...get away, we think, with much smaller mass... That's clouds. it. ...but we haven't run those studies yet, so that might be... Make you think it might be useful? The big deal... Nevertheless, there might be some good, reason to think, what do you good do reasons to very carefully think we'd like to start very slowly He's have a able to do this and do something that was an analog to nature because we have some idea what the downsides of what nature does are. Nevertheless, there might be some good reasons to think <laughs> about aluminum. It turns out, first of all, there's been a lot of work on the environmental consequences of aluminum in the stratosphere. Aluminum in the, the stratosphere. The
2: this isn't is them talking about this. Comes, we put aluminum, aluminum here. And ozone also aluminum, and I'll here's a, a, aluminum, aluminum can affect you when you breathe it you in. think it
4: might be useful? The big deal really is that alumina has four times the volumetric rate of forcing for small particles, as does sulfur, and that means you have four times the surface area for the same radio forcing, and this is a much bigger deal. You have roughly 16 times less the coagulation rate, and that's the thing that really drives removal, so you could get away, we think, with much smaller mass fluxes, but we haven't run those studies yet, so that might be wrong. Um, the little picture is from a nanofabrication study, which shows you can make very high quality, and do this in just a jet in a very simple way, make high quality aluminum particles just by spraying aluminum vapor out in drops. So it's certainly, in principle, possible to do that.
2: Just by spraying aluminum vapor, Darren. It's that easy. You can they make aluminum possible by. Right? here, I or think.
1: Acid, um, oh,
2: now we're ejecting peop- injecting people. Wait, wait, wait. This is a this
4: backscatter. Yeah, the audio so is the forcing? In fact, I have it in watts per square meter per megaton. And those things fall off as, as the particles get larger. But even more important, the fall speed rises quite rapidly in this regime. And so as particles stick together and get large, they fall out of the stratosphere very quickly. And so particles that are too large are much less effective per unit.
2: Okay, I lost my, uh, terrible, I had an interview. Okay, I got to stop it. I lost my spot. You're not going to let me do this ever again. <laughs> I had I had a spot where he was on... This guy was on uh, Stephen Colbert talking about spraying sulfuric acid in the sky.
1: Oh, I heard that like,
2: someplace. I was playing it out there, oh. and I had it all lined up, and now it's gone. I don't know what happened to it.
1: You know what you got to do? But
2: it's pretty funny, because he, he was like... I might be able to find it here. He was like, oh, so... People are not pissed off because you're spraying sulfuric acid all over the sky.
1: Who it, says that, Colbert?
2: Yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, here it is. We probably actually. can't play
1: Colbert. Oh, I got it. Ready? Oh, God. Go ahead.
2: Answer. The most renowned this geoengineering scientist in the United States, this is clear David Keith, appeared on the Stephen Colbert show to promote his book, A Case for Climate Engineering. What was revealed may be the most critical information about covert geoengineering practices
5: than ever admitted to the public. You could actually spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere 20 kilometers over our head and use that to stop the planet warming up in a okay, kind wait, of you, ugly you, tech fix. You could you can spray something into the atmosphere to yes. change... Okay, S- spray okay. Spray pollution into the atmosphere to stop it warming. How do you do this? You yeah. start with a fleet of modified business jet and say 20,000 tons <laughs> of sulfuric acid into the stratosphere every year. Uh-huh. And each year you have to put a little more. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't, in the long run, mean that you can forget about cutting emissions. We will need to rein in. No, we'll get to it eventually. in the meantime, we're shrouding the earth in sulfuric (laughs) acid. So people are terrified about talking about this Uh because they're scared that it will prevent us cutting emissions. Right, and also that it's sulfuric acid. (laughs) We put 50 million tons of sulfuric acid in the air now as pollution, and it kills a million people a year worldwide. Okay, but it'll be better if we put more in. We're talking about 1% of that. 1% more. We're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. What happens to the sulfuric acid after it's sprayed? Does it just stay up there? No, it rains down, okay. but it's a tiny addition okay. to what we're already doing. Is there any possible way this could come back to bite us in the end? It actually turns out to be an old idea. This really? was known since President Johnson. You ever look at those planes up there? They have contrails behind them. Maybe all those planes are the contrails. Maybe they're actually spraying chemicals into the atmosphere right now, and Uncle Sam isn't telling us. Seems extreme. Extremely unlikely. The fact That the United States is not telling something to its citizens, that seems extremely likely to me.
2: Enough of the mainstream view of this, but he did make fun of it pretty good there. I mean, he does make him look like a bit of a tool.
1: Spraying sulfuric acid into the air doesn't seem like a real great idea. I guess no. it's probably in a bunch of our exhaust. Still. I mean, that's probably the better point to Do you to really make, know? The- is that you're spraying 50 million tons of it into the air now. Well, you're not really spraying in the air, right? You're spraying it. It's
2: going up into the atmosphere. You're not just layering the top. I mean, who knows what the fuck that's going to do? I think or who knows what it's been doing? You know? You hear the stories about the clouds, the persistent contrails, creating clouds. We've all seen it. They say it's not contrails. It's just contrails. Water vapor creating clouds.
1: Persistent.
2: That are going to what? Cool the earth or warm the earth? I mean, I'm getting different stories. NASA says keep it warm. Somebody else says keep it cool. End of street. Uh, Aren't clouds reflective? Yes. Yeah. Or but do they? They, track? Know they
1: hold in heat though, so it depends where they're put.
2: Depends on the thickness, maybe how high up they are.
1: No, they hold in the heat. So we when the clouds come in at night, it stays warmer at night because they hold the heat. In. We got to get Jim Lee back on. the All show. All right, Jim Lee. Shout out to I think he listens, doesn't he? Yeah, he's awesome. Jim, Jim come has, on the show.
2: Jim has been doing some fantastic work over YouTube.
1: Have the clip cord back.
2: Are you done? Uh, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Well, thanks for your patience there, yeah, Aaron. It wasn't a total fail. It was,
1: uh, I got, a, I got like
2: 50 of these things lined up for
1: you, buddy. Well, I'll tell you a trick download them, I cut them in Audacity so they're ready to go, and you just have to hit play. It was ready. I and had a lot and fast forwarding. It's, uh, not a good luck.
2: You're tapping and you're just ruining the jingles.
1: I don't. Th- I think that's where it stops. Something happened when I copied it over.
3: It's
6: the profound chord of the week. Huh.
1: Interesting. I didn't copy the whole thing. I must not have waited long enough. Okay, you go ahead. I'll get my poem ready. Darren's Poem of the, the Week. Poem.
2: Okay, I just picked this up here. It seems very... Uh, I hope uh, Adam and Paul is okay with us talking about all this stuff on his intro. Who said this, Darren? The measures adopted to restore public... Okay, the measures adopted to restore public order are, first of all, the elimination of the so-called subversive elements. They were elements of disorder and subversion on the narrow... On the morrow of each conflict, I gave the categorical order to confiscate the largest possible number of weapons of every sort and kind. This confiscation, which continues with the utmost energy, has given satisfactory results.
1: H.W. Bush. (laughs) Oh
2: my god. Not Benito Mussolini. Ah. That, that was an address to the Italian Senate in 1931.
1: An address? I'm going to address the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do a, uh, an upside down take one? No. No? You're not doing any upside down. I don't know my
2: you. highlighter. I lost my highlighter, so I can't track
1: things properly here. It's in the
2: sack. Oh, I didn't know that. You saw me looking around.
1: I saw you looking around and stuff. What am I fucking mind reader? See, this is a communication thing. Thirteen Questions Podcast dot com. So I just noticed that this book says Gramerica and Enjoy" from Trisha, and the ho- the author is Trisha. So Nikki must know her. Where are we? Sinking ball of fire. It's not just a sunset disappearing into the water. It's not just a sunset, glistening like fire. It's the end of a day that was given to you. You may be smiling or singing the blues. It's the close of the hours that pass so fast. As the night falls, the day becomes the past. If the ray of the sun reveals itself tomorrow, your heart has a chance to shed all its sorrow. Drink in the light, but prepare for rest. It's never just a sunset. Ah. That's nice. Yeah, I think there's eighteen, so there's probably sixteen to go. Wow! Are you doing more quotes, or you're just doing some highlighting?
2: I was just doing some highlighting.
1: All right, so support the show. Greatamerica.ca/slash/support. We're uh, coming up near the end of the month. Did we talk about this yet? No, no, not this time. Greatamerica.ca/slash/support. Honestly, guys, we 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 gotta fight those algos. We We gotta fight the algos. We gotta fight the people making the cancellations. PayPal canceling you motherfuckers. Sorry. Oh, I didn't geez. mean to call you motherfuckers. I apologize.
2: I got an email that addresses that again.
1: Did
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> Calling it too many adjectives. Calm All down. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. Said, I'm talking to you. We're trying.
1: Support helps me not swear. Especially so. when you
2: call the supporters.
1: <laughs> it's in love. csr support. Sign up for a monthly, there's Patreon, there's Stripe, there's PayPal, there's one-time donation, there's sending cash and books, a bunch of different ways to support the show. Send stuff to the P.O. Box, spam gram, all that helps, review the show, share the show. Honestly though, uh, financially we could use some, Uh, helps us budget, helps us grow, helps us expand, helps us catch up with the expenses we already got, like rent, etc., Um, and, uh, we're creeping up on 1%. I think we could get there like real soon. Yeah. Like we could get there this month. That'd be great. America.ca slash support. Plus then you get all those black budget shows to a month or so. We went on a hiatus there for a while with all the CAC confusion, but we're back hammering them out. There's about 40 or 50 in the back catalog. You can enjoy. Check that out. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Just the chat. Uh, Fantastic people always ch-
2: chatting in the chats Can't keep up with it myself But it's uh, Pop in there every morning Say good morning Good to see everybody in there Woohoo
6: Stop on by, stop on by Stop on by, stop on by Stop on by, stop
2: on by I don't know to so You're hitting multiple jingles Constantly now
1: That's the problem I need a new jingle board support. <laughs> I was gonna see what was going on in the chats. Oh. Just to see what the latest thing was.
2: I mean, I we
1: got it. the last thing in the chats. Looks like it could also be a battle axe of sorts. Magic and loves equals grimaros. Uh I don't know what they're doing. They're always up to something. They're making codes. Learn to code, superhero code. That's what happens in the chats. chats foe's a heavy hitter in there. Ryan from Kansas. Grimstake, Graham's in there. Who else? Someone was saying the CWS chats are like Gen Pop.
2: Well, that's the name of their
1: oh, channel. Gen Pop. <laughs> Makes sense. I don't know. I'm not. What invited. does
2: gen pop mean though? Like Gen
1: Pop's it? like the genuine population part of a prison.
2: Oh, genuine. oh, okay. Yeah.
1: You don't want to go to Gen Pop. Epstein doesn't want to be in Gen Pop. Yeah, stay away from those chats. They're not safe for work. NSFW? Neither are ours yeah. half the time. I watch what channel you're in. Some of those memes, borderline. Uh, so yeah, go america.ca slash chats. Check out the borderline memes. I mean, it's better than anything on social media. On we YouTube. got a
2: whole bunch of channels in there too. They're always filled with stuff. Health and fitness and UFO paranormal politics, pyramids and archaeological stuff. Gambling picks, cannabis, movies, music, and art. The five G room, all kinds of stuff.
1: There's a room for fighting,
2: fighting, yeah. arguing, and stuff. Yeah. Really, there's a fight room. What yeah. do they call that?
1: Bickering and something. Or really? That.
2: Yeah. Socratic debate. Bickering Not that and,
1: one. No, no, that's like That's for like
2: uh, high or... level
1: debating. And oh, okay. Bickering and squabbling is just for like the John and Paul experience and the general name calling. We take it sideline it. I don't want to, here's the thing. I don't want to, I don't want to take away their speech, but I don't want their speech in the main chats yeah. when they're fighting. i good going to be considerate of the other Congress people. Well, and, they, and then you should allow, allow people,
2: people can just go in that and watch them fight. That's watch right. them argue. That's watch right. them debate.
1: We could set it up. We got the voice channels in there. People could listen to it. We could get that song like from when Kirk had to fight Spock. We used to have that as a jingle. I know what back happened. It was on the like fourth in a,
2: page in the jingle board.
1: I don't think it's even on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't think it's on the fourth page. Not on here at all. I've lost it. I can get that back. Kirk Spock fight. Anyway, anything else? That's about it, buddy. All right, guys, enjoy the chat with Adam Apollo.
2: we've got adam apollo with us now how do i describe this man wizard musician astral traveler scientist researcher i think I'd, I'd rather just hear it from him so welcome to the show adam
0: thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here with you guys
2: yeah yeah it's awesome um i think we should probably just i mean you should probably describe yourself a little bit i don't want to get too detailed in the in the bio because there's a lot to to say i mean you're still young I mean, the, the amount of experience you've had and the amount of stuff you've done, it, it's one of those things I'm just mind blown. I'm like, how does he do so much?
0: Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, you can't really see the fuzzy, squiggly gray hair <laughs> sticking out of the back here. But, um, you know, I, I guess I'm young relatively. But for me, you know, life got jump-started pretty early on. Uh, I woke up when I was about 15, and realized I had an energy body that was capable of being manipulated by my consciousness. And having some very profound experiences at that age caused me to deep dive into the nature of reality, of physics. Um, I just got an insatiable desire to explore the universe and unpack everything I possibly could. And originally, I had a plan to have a book out of all of that work by the time I was you know 19 or 20, um, as I did my first big you know physics presentation on unified uh, field theory, and it, for me, it was specifically the unification of science and spirituality through unified field theoretics as my senior project in high school. Nice, and, um, and then found myself sort of following a path of Uh, redefining and transforming education Um, and that led me to have an opportunity to meet some amazing people and then I started speaking at different events uh, leading up to um, the International Symposium on Digital Earth where I was a keynote speaker at their gala to a bunch of you know Google and satellite agencies and all these people um, and then from that, got invited to be a speaker at the White House and United Nations. And um, this was all, you know, still in my early 20s. And so that that kind of all that work, you know, really jump started my ability to uh, really integrate the different pieces of the puzzle, as I call it, um, of how we can transform as a human species and transform this planet and you know could couldn't get me off the train of purpose so to speak
2: no kidding jeez i i, I didn't hit that train until i was like mid 30s
0: <laughs> i'm not even sure if i'm there yet <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry that train does stop periodically yeah. and there's plenty of stations
1: let's so. more people on so no worries, so what uh
2: when did you when did you get involved with the resonance foundation and on, along that journey
0: yeah well i you know i obviously been deep diving in physics since I was a teenager, um, and, you know, had pretty much assembled my sense of a unified field theory with basic geometric descriptions of space-time and how gravity forms, how uh, equilibrium forms and allows the passage of electromagnetism through uh, a state of equilateral tensegrity in the structure of space-time, and then also uh, predicted... Um, geometries for what would cause spin and radiation to occur um, and had pretty much found the roots of a lot of the forces um, by the time I was in my early 20s and, and had a pretty clear description of those. Um, and then at some point I started coming across Nassim Herman's work and uh, just had heard his name for a while, started, you know, checking out his papers on spin which he, you know, added, uh, torsion and spin equations to Einstein field theories, which I thought was great. A brilliant idea. Very necessary. Cause obviously everything is spinning out there. Um, and tracked his work for a while. Although initially I, you know, and I, he knows this, but I initially thought that, you know, he was missing a really, some really, really critical stuff. Um, but that he was on the right track and, uh, over the years, we started kind of running into each other because we'd be speaking in the same places or conferences. Um, and then I actually became very good friends with the mother of his children. And uh, and after that, we started actually really getting together and connecting and downloading with each other, exchanging sort of the the deep mental structure of how we'd been perceiving space-time and where the compatibilities were in our theories. Um, And then all of that led to, at some point, uh, through a contact that I had met at the White House, who was interested in my work in particular and wanted me to help her review Stephen Greer's work in order to decide whether or not she was going to fund Stephen Greer to build uh, this new energy system. Wow! And I went to this meeting. We reviewed Stephen's work, and she asked me what I thought afterwards, and. While I thought he did a great job and, you know, he had some really good team, I was really concerned about the net of forces around him and that I felt honestly that even if he built a new energy system, it wasn't going to go anywhere. And so I advised her not to fund him at that time and she agreed and she felt like that was not the best situation. Um, but in the year following, she was planning to come to this event, uh, Nexus Youth Summit at the United Nations, where I was speaking at, and I had been telling my contacts who helped organize that event about Nassim and his progress, particularly with the Schwarzschild proton, in understanding you know, the structure of the proton itself and its nature um, as pretty much the most permanent object in the universe i don't know if you guys know this but it takes you know it would take four to five of the current lifetimes of the entire universe for a proton to decay so there's (laughs) something very powerful and special about this object and um and i thought you know nasim has really been dedicated for a very very long time and i think he's on track to creating an energy system or to making a breakthrough in that area And so last minute called him, got him to come out to speak on a panel, went out to dinner with this woman and, uh, and you know, nine grueling months of dealing with lawyers later, um, I got the resonance project foundation as it was called at the time funded for about $12 million. Nice. And so this enabled the facilities on the, on Kauai to be developed. And I kind of came out of that window, like stoked for him and then going, how am I going to pay my rent this month? You know, I'm like still building little websites for clients and scraping jobs here and there doing the thing. Um, and I had really established at this point, a clear vision of what an integrative educational framework would look like and how to deliver that online through online systems. And so I ended up asking the president of a board who is a friend of mine, Marshall Lefferts, who also just finished a book called Cosmometry. It's an amazing book um, for a grant to do this. And he was like, well, I don't, I don't only want to give you a grant, like let's join forces. Let's build this education system together. And I was like, well, if you do want to do that, I would give the first version of this to the resonance foundation and so that's what ended up happening. We ended up building the Resonance Academy together. And because of my work in Unified Physics, I wrote a good deal of that first course, especially the deep dives into physics, modern physics, and translating a lot of Nassim's work into the Unified Physics teaching modules.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. So that's that was the whole genesis of, of that that educational part of the resonance foundation then i, I guess right yeah so yeah. i saw Nassim about five, i think it was about four or five years now five years i think it was just when the hawaii thing was uh starting i think i don't know the full timing of it and all that but now thinking back yeah. on how long ago that was now like so much has happened since then and yeah that's 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 incredible did we have marshall on last week we had we talked to marshall last week it was fantastic
0: yeah, yeah. He's, his book is amazing yeah, i just well, yeah. got the copy of it <laughs> and you know it's like this thick tons of full color oh. pictures um and it's a it's a super deep dive marshall's yeah. brilliant and yeah
2: what a guy book. too what a great guy and we ha- i can't wait to get that book in in the studio it's going to be one of those ones I'm, we're always like probably going to be referencing yeah 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 i figured you guys knew each other but i didn't know that you were that close that's that's
0: fantastic yeah. We've all, we've all had a deep weave for a long time. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how, uh, at different times in our lives, we like really, it's important for people to really get behind the work of, of someone who's really having breakthroughs. Yeah. And, uh, and there's kind of a circuit of that where like, you got to back people when they're, when they're really rocking it. And a lot of us really backed Nassim when he was making his big breakthroughs yeah. and, um, and, and he still is making big breakthroughs. Um, And it's also important, I think, uh, as researchers and as scientists and as people who are all stakeholders in thinking that has the power to really change the world, that we all support each other. Um, Because I also feel uh, like in the community, and I've seen this a lot in the disclosure community, you guys have probably seen it as well, where there's kind of just a lot of backstabbing and infighting and people talking junk about each other. And, you know, I think at the heart. Whether you're right or wrong, I think we all are still on the mission with the same intention of really bringing the truth to this planet and to, you know, making an equitable, peaceful, and thriving world for all of our children.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It must've been great for you to meet also a bunch of like-minded people at the Resonance Foundation. I mean, I know a friend of ours also, mm-hmm. like a, a big shift in his life was going to a meeting about the Resonance Foundation and and meeting a whole bunch of great people that and his whole life just shifted at that point Mm, so mm -hmm. yeah that's uh
0: well i can tell you just going to um going to egypt together and going to peru together getting the students actually coming on these missions where we deep dive like in these intense sites you know and you're all underground in the serapium and you're looking at like you know 30 different hall you know chambers and inside of each one of these chambers you've got these massive sarcophagi you know supposedly these tombs that are 30 feet long you know six or seven feet high and eight feet wide and they're a foot and a half thick and they're made of basalt you know nine and a half on the hardness scale they're laser sharp and they're the corners are almost sharp enough to cut your fingers still you know and they weigh 70 tons to 100 tons each and the archaeological story is, yep, they put them down there as tombs for bulls, <laughs> yeah. you know. And you're just like, that's bush, you know. Like, come on, like, like this. There's so much amazing stuff going on on the planet, and when you see these things, you know, with people with students um, who just, yeah, everybody grew up with the same kind of stories coming out of school, um, but when you actually go to these sites and you actually start questioning the physics of how some of these things came together. It's just astounding and it's so inspiring to think about the the height of civilization prior to the end of the last ice age. Yep.
1: Yep. Global as well. <laughs> do you think it was just then or how far back do you think that goes?
0: Well, I mean, I think that that's, that's the last kind of juncture we can tell a major cataclysm happened and we can, really see the evidence of the breaking that happened at that time
1: at the younger but, dry like
0: Yeah. Just like from the flood, the evidence of the flood itself. Yeah. But you know, a lot of these sites for improve, for example, when you look at the, the terracing on the mountains, you've got terraces that go from the bottom of the valleys all the way up to the tops of the Andes. And you know, you, you wouldn't like hike up this mountain to go and like pick some radishes. You know what I mean? Like this is like t- five, to 10,000 feet verticals, like insane, insane. And, and you're just thinking like, well, how would they even deliver stuff from the tops of these mountains to the bottoms? And you're, you start looking at it like, wow, this entire, country like this whole area as you're traveling for you know hours and hours and hours days even across the country you're seeing these same structures going all the way from the bases to the top to the mountains and it just starts to give you this sense of that this was a massive breadbasket for a civilization that was so huge like we don't even have records of it at that size we know the incas had a large scale civilization but you can tell what the Incas built and it's all the lower terraces and they look new and they look pretty nice, you know, but these old terrace lines, they just go on and on and on and on and they cr- crisscross the entire country. In fact, a lot of South America has. Them. Yeah.
1: Huh. That's probably the same sort of stuff we were looking at in the, the, from the Pueblo people down in Colorado. You know, it's that same sort of idea where you've got the Mesa Verde—the people are living way the fuck up on that mountain. And there's no way they're getting water and stuff up there. So it's like, you know, what did they have in place that was bringing
2: thousands of logs and hundreds of thousands of stones up there to build those things?
1: They brought those logs ninety miles or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> anyway, yeah. let's jump back to physics. Um, you had—you'd had said you had done a, a lot of the work on that—that that course on the on the physics. I was wondering if you could give us sort of just a, a quick rundown of a, a reminder, so to speak, of where um, the unified field theory kind of differs from from relativity.
0: Yeah, well, it's not, I wouldn't say it's really that distinct from relativity. Um, you know, if you look at the trajectory of physics, there's uh, there's something very interesting that goes on where over the time, specifically from René Descartes until around Max Planck and Einstein, you have, a, you have a basic philosophical structure. A lot of the physicists, early physicists, were known as philosophers. The basic philosophical structure is that there is this sort of underlying field, and this field we call the ether, yeah. and the ether is broken down into these different kind of elemental components. And those elemental components we describe as fire, air, earth, and water, for example, is Western philosophy at its base, at its core. There's a lot of this that we see throughout history. And you, you get the sense that as things go along, you know the pressure of the church gets stronger and stronger and stronger, which forces the sort of alchemical studies and the studies involving Um, consciousness and subjectivity and things like that to retreat further and further behind the scenes while you push objectivity, mechanical sciences, um, even Descartes' statement, you know, that, uh, that basically only the human being has a soul, that no animals have souls, that every kind of animal or creature in there is automata. It can be understood as a compilation of its parts like gears, right? and you see uh, sort of the front end of science taking on this very mechanical, very separative kind of role where we're trying to break down the universe into all of its little gears and components. While at the same time, you've got a lot of the brilliant thinkers like Newton hiding in their caves in the background that they're actually alchemists. And they're actually studying these sort of universal principles And geometries and structures that may interconnect all of these ideas together but out of fear of being persecuted by the church they don't surface any of those ideas and so you've got this kind of hacking away of the components of this this ether or this sort of what was already somewhat of a unified picture of physics um, in order to explain away the different components of it so the study of fire becomes thermodynamics You know, the study of pressure systems, water and air becomes hydrodynamics. The study of Earth becomes geology um, and crystallography. And we start breaking away these different elementals. And then finally, the last bit to go, the last piece of the ether uh, was light itself. And they called it the luminiferous ether. And the luminiferous ether supposedly got uh, initially kind of proved away by these guys called Mickelson and Morley. This was around the turn of the 1900s. And they did a study with a basically a table in a little office where they were trying to measure the force of the movement of the earth traveling through this supposed surrounding ether. And they didn't measure any pressure from the surrounding space affecting this table that's, of course, inside of an atmosphere spinning around the earth at a thousand miles an hour towards, you know, as the earth is hurtling through space. Um, But, but because of their little experiment, they were, they thought, well, we've definitively proved there is no ether um, because they simply weren't accounting for the fact that all of the space and the air and the atmosphere is all moving with the surface of the earth. So then you get, you know, Max Planck coming in and he starts, looking at quantizing the electromagnetic field and around the same time you have Einstein come in and Einstein names this sort of quanta of light the littlest tiniest bit of light as a photon and he does this paper on special relativity and this paper on special relativity basically describes how we perceive light and how light actually works in the universe and how light is related to time and perception and how light speed is something that is based on the observer, right? And this, this paper was super groundbreaking. Um, And for the scientific community, it was also a really great way of saying, finally, we don't need this luminiferous ether to describe anything anymore. We just use Einstein's work and we've gotten rid of it. Voila, you know, like done deal. Yes, you know, it's the age of quantum mechanics now. But unfortunately, or fortunately, as it may be, you know, 10 years later, Einstein publishes a paper on general relativity. And the paper on general relativity says that light is affected by the structure of space time, that in fact, the bending of space time itself can curve light. And because of this, you know, his teacher Lorenz comes up to Einstein and he says, you know, Hey, Einstein, you know, you just proved the ether exists. You know this, right? (laughs) And Einstein's like, oh, you're right. I did. I have to do something about this. So Einstein does this whole paper on general relativity and the ether. And he does a press conference on it, speaks about it, does all this stuff. But everybody ignores it. Nobody wants to hear it. Everybody's excited about the quantum mechanical world and, you know, these German guys that are now coming out with stuff, Bohr and Heisenberg and like all of these kind of crazy new ideas coming out in physics. And, and everybody ignores Einstein's theory on the ether that, that general relativity actually requires an underlying ether. And even when we finally, you know, did the, the basic experiments to measure how much energy is in empty space in the vacuum itself. And we did these plate experiments where, you know, you're trying to detect how much force is there. Even when we discovered there's so much force in the empty vacuum that it's 120 orders of magnitude different from what we think of as empty space. We just threw it out the window. It's called the vacuum catastrophe. And it's one of the biggest Pause in physics, you know, for uh, in the past hundred years, and it's it like literally shows that physics is really screwed up. (laughs) And not only that, but then you have Heisenberg's interpretation of quantum mechanics and the uncertainty principle, which Schrödinger, you know, who are sorry, um, uh, yeah, Schrödinger, which we all familiar with, Schrödinger's cat, right? Like this cat in a box, and the cats in the box. And Schrodinger comes up with this idea that, well, if everything's uncertain and it's either a particle or a wave until you perceive it, then if you put a cat in a box and then we don't know which way it's going to measure, is the cat alive and dead at the same time? And Heisenberg's like, yep. And Schrodinger's like, you're insane. And Einstein thought he was insane too. And yet we still use that as the example of how quantum mechanics works, but it's missing this very, very, very fundamental principle, which is that if space-time is a vibrating, highly energetic medium, if you have a node vibrating in a super fluid, highly energetic field like that, it's going to be both a point of vibration and it's also going to produce waves at the same time. And so you're going to have wave and particle at the same time. It doesn't matter which way you measure it. You can measure the position of the center of the vibration, or you can measure the angular momentum of the waves. But either way, you're still dealing with an underlying vibrating fluid. And the beautiful thing about this is that the more you start looking at this sort of classical interpretation of space-time, where space-time itself is a geometric lattice in a high state of tensegrity, just like Buckminster Fuller was talking about, you know, it's all triangles, and, and you start looking at how that structure is moving in the shape of a proton, how that structure is moving in the field around electrons, how that structure is moving in, in gamma radiation and these different things, all of a sudden you start seeing how all the different forces and the dynamics of things all arise in space time from this fundamental field which takes us back 600 you know, years to the idea that everything's the ether and it's all just different geometric expressions of the ether. And we're finding now that in the height of our science and technology, that those ideas were actually correct and that ancient cultures actually had a much better idea about what was going on in space time than we give them credit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which kind of gets back to the ancient mystery part of it that we were talking about, where they were—I think they were utilizing some of this—and you know, maybe not like high technology like the way we see it now, but they were tapping into it somehow with maybe with sound or vibrations or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. Did that get to your question? Oh yeah, that that was fantastic. Was good. I mean,
2: very very well articulated.
1: I like ether. Um, What what effect does the like? magnetic field from the sun over the solar system have on the the ether does the magnetic field affect that at all like is it different outside earth or outside the solar systems or
0: yeah well one way to look at it is that you know the entire the entire solar system as a disk is one gigantic gravitational lens this is the way I like to describe it and that each planet has a certain sort of influence On the surrounding space around it and that all of that surrounding space around each planet uh, in each of their positions as well as the entire disk itself is all space moving so you can imagine the entire thing as a series of vortices in a fluid and the whole thing is moving it's not that you have a rock or a planet or a moon and it's pushing its way through space time because at that scale, we're not seeing any time dilation. We're not seeing any acceleration issues. The, the only acceleration that we're seeing from the standpoint of general relativity and Einstein's work is the acceleration in the new direction as the object is turning around the sun. But there's a stability to that, right? We should see if, if there was a friction between the planet and the surrounding space, we should see planets slowing down at some point, right? But we don't because the whole flow of the space is moving. The field itself is fluid, and so the whole thing is moving and rotating. And because the field itself, the ether, so to speak, this underlying structure of space is actually made of light at the Planck scale. It's actually vibrating light, which is literally nodes of singularities woven together in wormhole networks and entanglement structures. Um, and that, that because it's made of light, uh, electromagnetic radiation also doesn't have any friction passing through it. So you can think of the radiation from the sun or the radiation from the galaxy as it passes through this wave-like structure, fluid structure that is the whole solar system. It's not having to change form or slow down. It's just following whatever shape that space-time is in. So, for example, as it travels close to a planet, it gets bent slightly, right? If it goes right by a star, it gets bent even more. And if it goes right by a galaxy that's nearby, it could get bent to the point where you actually see galaxies behind other galaxies, gravitational lensing.
1: So it's more like a superfluidic whirlpool around the planet than the actual dent in the space-time like we used to show with the... So it's like we have to take that old model... Of the planet putting the sag into the fabric of space
0: and start spinning that whole grid. Exactly. Right. And also uh, break our idea that we're just looking, you know, it's useful to look at the gravitational divot in a two dimensional structure. That's right. So you got to take that grid and lay happened.
1: it on, t- you got to lay that thing on top of itself a million fucking times and then start laying them this yes. way as well. So it's yeah, exactly. almost more like a hard
0: drive. You, yeah, well, uh, that's interesting. Tell me what you're seeing there when you're
1: thinking. Well, it. that's how I picture like a hard drive working. Like it's all broke up into those little fucking sectors or nodes. Or I mean, I'm not, I don't know uh, the techno babble for it, but it's basically split up into a bunch of little, however many little bits.
0: Yeah, electromagnetic switches. And right? you
1: can cram each bit with a one or a zero and somehow that turns into this. But yep. I mean, I just, when you start picturing space as a giant, giant giant grid of n- nodes then it just starts seeming i mean the it's whole good, thing well, seems it's holographic it's
2: because you like simi- simulation theory so much It's though. the only I, thing that makes sense
0: that's right
1: yeah,
2: yeah i mean well, we just spent last happy- week
0: talking about holographics it, it is a totally a holographic data field because you know what what we started to realize is that When you have quantum coherence, right, which is the phenomena that one area of space-time or the the subatomic structures in one area of the space-time match those in another location in space-time, what we see is the phenomenon of entanglement, where when you change the spin, for example, of a subatomic particle, and then the other one changes at the same time, right? But what we realized is that that experience of entanglement and the quantum coherence that exists there. That can be propagated anywhere, and in fact, all it is is that when space-time in one area has the same basic geometry and vibration as that in another area, they are effectively they effectively behave as if they're the same space.
1: Resonating. Yeah.
2: Well, that's
0: because everything's entangled. That's right. And then, now, if you apply that, let's say you apply that to the electromagnetic structure of an idea. So, like if I have this idea in my head and it's in my brain, right? But it, there's an electromagnetic structure to it, and there's also a neuron structure that's being formed cellularly at a much larger scale around that idea, right? To store it kind of in the wetware of my body. Um, that specific electromagnetic uh, uh, patterning that forms that idea is not necessarily isolated to my head. So that means somebody else or somebody that I'm connected to could spontaneously, literally develop the same exact quantumly coherent idea pattern in their head. And not only that, it seems to happen. It It seems to happen. It's finally, it's
2: finally, there's a million, you know,
1: there's a million examples, well, probably not a million, but there's a hundred examples in history of 100 monkeys. Well, not only that, just like the inventions different inventions happening on different parts of the globe at the same time, you know, like literally within months of each other.
2: But right. I've never really—I finally visualized how it would resonate, like how that entanglement could happen. Like if you created a thought that was exactly the same shape and spin, did you say the same shape, same shape and vibration or spin vibration. as somebody else, it's going to resonate. Yeah,
1: that's,
0: that's why not, the five Gs here. Really... This, not necessarily uh, constrained by the spin because spin is really just giving us compression yeah. and radiation right but think of it instead as like a like bunch of nodes yeah. vibrating together and they vibrate and there's a color pattern in those nodes right now you can you can kind of play this idea out in your head by thinking of like a song when you listen to a song that song is stimulating a certain kind of pattern of ideas and harmonics in your head and feelings and all the stuff that you have when you listen to that song. Well, why is it do you think that when there's a really, really epic blockbuster song released that like all of these people feel it so deeply and it builds and builds and builds as a crescendo. until like the whole world goes crazy over it. I mean, you look at Michael Jackson as a phenomenon with some of his music. And there's these points where it's just like across every cultural barrier, people are feeling this resonance and this experience of this music. And it's connected to the experience that the person had who made that music and recorded that into the hard drive of the ether, so to speak. Yeah. And so this imprint of this particular vibrational field, gets picked up by other people. And when they tune into that kind of same field, all of a sudden they feel connected. Yeah. They actually are connected to all the other people that listen to that same song. Yeah.
2: I wanted to expand on the spiritual part about it because you I mean you've been looking at the the overlap between science and spirituality for a long time now. So you've obviously put a lot of what you've learned into your spiritual practice and and for the longest sure. time, but but you really made me think about it there where the importance of 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 not so much the mindfulness part but the concentration part of the focus part like just over the last few months or a year because i always used to think of how powerful like mindfulness was very powerful for me like just the being able to 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 disconnect from your thoughts and just watch your thoughts and see how where they go and how they start and all that like that that was very powerful but now i'm realizing that um that might just be a tool to reach concentration and that's where the power is is in that focus or concentration and like you said if that idea becomes a structure with a with a oscillation or a vibration maybe you can form that or increase the the power or the size based on
1: focus and concentration well that's why they put so much effort into keeping us distracted (laughs) yeah
0: well you got that right and, and, you know, there's, there's sort of the, the great they, right? The, I mean, we're is, good at that ourselves. <laughs> let's, be, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. We, we definitely work at doing that ourselves. And a lot of that is because, you know, when you start thinking of uh, ideas as these sort of crystalline vibrational imprints, then you start realizing that depending on the geometry of the imprint, depending on its structure, it's going to actually filter light. And as it filters light, it's also filtering emotion. It's filtering what things you can now perceive new, right? So let's say you start building these sort of hard structures of thought based on what your parents taught you, based on what your church tells you, based on whatever, you know, was passed down through the society or culture that you live in. And now you've got these really specific ideas and lenses. And whenever there's an idea that tries to come in, you try to receive some new information from somebody or something, but let's say it's not compatible with that lens. Well, what happens, that lens literally stops that information from coming in and it blocks it out. And, and a lot of people kind of reach these sort of critical points in their lives where they are realizing like everything is creating this stress and this pressure against their whole internal idea of reality and their whole belief system. And they, they, some of, sometimes people actually have breakdowns, you know, some of my students and some clients I've had over time, you know, actually have these breakdowns where they're, they don't know how to accept the new ideas and experiences that are coming to them in their lives because the lenses that they built in the past are so fixed. They're so strong and they're filtering out so much of, of good experience in their lives. But when you actually go back to the root, you, know, you, you deal with the original trauma, you deal with you know, the pain and the fear that caused that belief system to form in the first place. Now you're given an opportunity to actually break down those original lenses. And as you do that, you know, there's a, oftentimes a lot of things stacked on top of that original belief that are all going to fall down. But if you let it happen and you let all those things that you thought were real fall down and fall apart, you might feel like you're kind of in a, in a chrysalis, you know, and your entire body as, as you know, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, you know, you've got your entire body is melted down into goop, but you've got these imaginal cells and they're the ones that are holding the keys of the truth that you know you want to experience that the future self that you're going to have. And those imaginal cells are just going to completely hold the field for you until finally you form this butterfly that is this new, new self that's able to accept more information, including the information that you now you know, see was limiting you. But you can also accept all kinds of information that's contrary to that. And that allows you to actually perceive more clearly what the truth is. Um, because, you know, if, if if the universe and all truth is, if it's all just light and geometry, then what really counts is being able to see it from enough different facets of the crystal to actually know what it actually is.
1: If it's all um, light and geometry, then all that matters is love. There you go, man. Cheers to that.
2: He's talking, he's, he's talked about it before. That's, the, that's one of the keys.
1: I mean, I, love. honestly. <laughs> because if it's just that, I mean... Then you're obviously on a hard drive, so you might as well make the best of it. Quit your job because it doesn't matter. (laughs) What did John McAfee say? You'll be fucking smart enough to get a new job before you starve.
0: There you go. Don't quit your job because
1: I told you to. Support the show.
0: Um, (laughs) Well, a job can be, a, a lot of people get jobs based on a specific mental pattern passed to them by their parents. Like, you got to do this. You have to work. You got to make this money. And they don't know how to get creative enough to be doing what they love. So what's the answer? You go and you work at McDonald's or whatever, right? Yeah. And at some point you're like, what the frick am I doing? What is this? Is this the life that I really wanted for myself? Where, where is my creativity? Where, where do I get to really be me? And a lot of people you know, go into drugs and alcohol and really kind of lose themselves in and try to kind of numb themselves outside of that world because they they're in a circuit and they feel trapped inside of this cage of life and let me tell you right now that cage is just an idea that's all it is it's literally just a way of thinking it's like thinking the earth is flat and you're trapped you're stuck on the earth there's a giant ice wall oh my god you know everybody's lying to you oh my god all of nasa is like It's a huge conspiracy, you know, like all, you know, there's a, there's a level of fear feedback that can occur from ideas like that, that literally begin to isolate you and create a cage around yourself and your mind. Now I had the sad experience of watching a couple people that I actually really care about and love a lot, get caught up in the flat Earth thing because someone they highly respected got behind it really strongly. And, you know, it's a tough thing to have to just be like, you know, have you ever had a flight in the Southern Hemisphere before? (laughs) Are the flight times four times longer than they are in the Northern Hemisphere? No, I'm sorry, they're not. Have you ever looked at a planet through a telescope? You know, like, have you ever studied the size of the Earth and the size of the sun and the distance between them and how these things work? Like, it's just, it's just some very, very simple simple sort of um observational understandings that can break down that whole theory but if you lack the desire to really question and look at your reality um in a new way then it's pretty easy to get swept up in things like
1: yeah, I yeah. can hear the te- keyboards clicking and clocking right now. They're coming. You need to use your adult brain a little more, Mr. Apollo. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't mean that. That's yeah. what I got told when Darren. we had the Flat Earth.: oh, We did the Flat
2: there. Earth. <laughs> yeah and Darren actually got a little upset
0: and oh yeah, it was really funny. Oh gosh. yeah. 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 Well, I got triggered. You know, D- yeah, Darren got triggered pretty good, yeah. It's, it's okay, you know, but if you're out there right now and you're experiencing a wave of fear and anxiety. Um, based on what I'm saying right now, just breathe through um, it. I I'd just like you to look at that because you know that's that in itself. Adam's good... not
1: making you feel that way. You're making yourself feel that way. So take a look at that, <laughs> explore <laughs> it, feel it, feel through it. Take so, a deep breath, break
2: close down your those eyes, lenses and open up. Break for the, down the lenses. I, lens I will
0: give you it. one other piece here that I think is critical, and then let's please move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, if there, if the Earth is not a sphere then there's no gravitational core to the earth. And if there's no gravitational core to the earth, then there's no way to ground. There's actually no way that you can ground your being into the nexus at the heart of the earth, which connects to the nexus at the heart of the sun, the heart of the galaxy, the heart of the galactic cluster we call Laniakea, the heart of its superclusters, the heart of the universe. Like literally grounding into source, grounding into the infinite requires nothing more than relaxing into the gravitational field of your own planet, which is taking care of you. And if you don't believe there's a the center of the Earth, well. Is it hollow? Like removing the ground current in a big house with a lot of electricity running through it. <laughs> <laughs> is it hollow? Yeah. Is the Earth hollow? Earth hollow uh i would say absolutely not no not even a little bit at the middle uh well if you look at density compression and gravitational structures you recognize that you know in any large dense object there is uh there's sort of a uh crystallization and compressioning structure that occurs as you go to the center of that object and you know you can see this with any any large mass right Now, I'm not saying there's not massive hollow spaces in the crust of the Earth. For sure there are. I mean, we know there. There's gargantuan oceans underground. I've seen ships fly in and out of Mount Adams and Mount Shasta. I've watched them go into the surface and, bloop, you know, like into the freaking gate. But, you know, when you go down far enough, it gets pretty freaking hot and you keep going and it's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and and more and more compact and we know this because there's literally an engine being generated by the force of the heavier metals moving under the ground in the magma that are generating the earth's electromagnetic fields and if you went all the way down to the core of the earth you're going to get to the inner core which is basically a giant iron crystal and at the center of that, you're going to reach a point where the, the protons are in so much, so much coherence that you're actually going to see a singularity. And I, I think Nassim is right on with the idea that there's a black hole at the center of every proton as well as every large gravitational structure. the Earth, the sun, galaxy. That's creating abs- matter and causing the planets to grow. Well, potentially, yes. I mean, the how much it's growing, how much matter is being exchanged in that process, I think is still up for debate debate, but whether or not, you know, space time itself organizes it. Space time obviously organizes itself around singularities. I mean, everything that we know or is organized around a galaxy and what's at the center of the galaxy. Freaking black hole. It just happens to be a supermassive black hole, you know? And, and so why would all the gas, rotate around a sun what why would a sun even form a sun is going to form because space time is swirling around some center and that center aggregating gas is what we call a singularity
1: the sun's almost like the opposite of the singularity it's like that's where the shit's pumping out the other side um i forget what i was going to say
0: well the, the whole the whole translation of a black hole as in removing matter from space is is i think a little bit incorrect and that's why you know people like hawking have had such a hard time figuring out the firewall problems and all of that with losing matter and information into a black hole
1: yeah what about uh, so isn't that iron crystal at the center of
0: the earth just mostly empty space though uh well i mean again that's just getting down to the nature of space time itself so if, so, that, if so would those be
1: like more tightly compacted grids is that how that would work is that like yeah, taking the grid we were pie. looking at before and just cramming it together so tight that you can't see the spaces
0: yeah like imagine if you have protons spinning at the at the speed of light and usually they have pressure off of each other because of their shared plonk fields that are spinning creating the electron field that's what we normally call like a molecular structure but it gets to the point where the protons literally start all getting compacted into like one single giant nucleus. That's kind of what we're talking about. The compactification of protons into a grid where they're almost behaving as a single nucleus. Mm. And at a certain level of coherency in that nucleus, you could think of all of their gravitational points aligning in a core, and that core extending itself as literally a singularity. Now, it doesn't have to be that big. It can be very small. But the amount of force that that level of coherence creates, you know, is then also magnified and magnified and magnified by all the co-moving protons that are in a lattice structure extending out from it. Because when you deal with an iron crystal or a metal crystal, you've got every single atom in that structure aligned in precision to each other. And they, it doesn't, they, does, they don't have to even vibrate that much. And, and also the whole structure is rotating and spinning too. So you've got this like super hot spinning crystal of, you know, plonks vibrating together and forming this incredible field.
2: Yeah. I got, I got a bunch of, how questions does that go? Uh,
1: so does that, the, if you keep compacting that grid and compacting that grid and compacting that grid, is that eventually what causes
0: supernovas? yeah well, that's that's an interesting concept. Um, so you know we we have some clear ideas about why supernovas form when a sun explodes, for example, right? And a lot of that is simply because in the center of a sun, you have this process of literally merging the atomic nuclei of atoms together, just like what we're talking about, where they get compactified to a point where they get in such high coherence, That the protons actually merge hydrogen becomes helium Um, helium then becomes uh, you know heavier uh, objects and and processes and then noble gases Um, and eventually you know you start getting metal production and carbon production and as you start getting into these higher levels of coherence and and crystalline structure now what happens is there's there's sort of like Uh, An expense account where, like the 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 lower structured gases keep moving in through this this field and joining in and joining in and joining in, and it gets to a point where there's a pressure compaction issue between the pressure in each of the layers going to the surface with the pressure in the core, and because you have this giant object and it's just made of gas, it's super fluidic. Um, It at that point has this capacity to actually implode on itself. And as it implodes, it's, all, it's trying to reach a higher state of singularity. It's devouring um, the, the remainder of the, the gases inside of it in order to consume itself. And as that happens, the whole thing goes supernova and explodes. But that doesn't mean when that happens that now all of a sudden you have a black hole in the center of that, that sun. Um, you know, From our standpoint, from the unified physics standpoint, that black hole, the singularity, was already there at the core of the sun. It's now just grown, and you've also now expended a lot of the lower-level gases, and you've literally transmuted them alchemically into higher-state metal structures. So matter is, is evolving in its form through this process. And as we know, supernovas are really the, the origin of a lot of our planetary systems because that, that whole process that a sun goes through in that rebirth literally creates the carbon and the heavier metals that we need to have planetary structures like the
1: So that means that if there's a black hole, a supermassive black hole or singularity at the center of every galaxy, then we could actually just be on the center of a giant sun.
0: Uh I'm not sure what I'm gonna say, mean so well, I say well like if
1: there's a singularity at the <laughs> if there's a singularity at the center of all the gravitational bodies Uh then why where what about the ones that aren't like what about a a black hole that we can observe that should we assume it's at the at the center of some sort of field or some sort of something
0: yeah well when you when you get to the scale when you get to the scale of like galactic supermassive black holes you've you're getting to a scale point where entire stars are devoured by this Yeah.
1: So is there like something fundamentally
0: different between that and the singularity at the center of the sun? Or is it just scale? the the, The center of the sun is merging all of the energy and information the same way as the, the, the black, the singularity at the center of the galaxy. Ooh. So we're like the galaxy that just
1: went supernova.
0: Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is that, you know, the proton is sort of this amazing mediator because at the scale of the proton. You basically have a little singularity, but you've got, you've got a stable geodesic geometric structure of space-time around it that's in such high tensegrity and so stable. And I keep using the word tensegrity. That's a word by Buckminster Fuller. I highly recommend checking it out if you don't know what that means, but it's a balance of push and pull, right? So it's got enough radiation and compression at the same time that it's stable and so you look at a proton and the way that i describe this in, in my work and papers and i actually have a course on quantum geometry coming out in the resonance academy here in the next couple of months is to look at a proton like a series of layers of geodesic structures so imagine like bucky's geodesic domes but you've got you know lots and lots and lots of layers of that and so you've got this super highly refined crystal Um, and, And this highly, highly refined crystal is stabilized around its nuclear core, but it's a crystal made of light. So parts of that crystalline object are going into its nuclear core at the center and entering the infinite singularity, and parts of it are radiating out at its horizon. But it's in a stable sort of toroidal state of rebirthing itself, and it's spinning at the speed of light, so it's able to survive multiple lifetimes of the universe.
1: And is that sort of like, hmm, that's interesting because that's kind of like, that makes me think that sort of all this stuff on the macro side of things or the quantum side is sort of stabilized and, or the micro, sorry, the micro and the quantum side is stabilized and the macro universal side is not stabilized.
0: Now I can't well, remember. Not exactly, but, but I'll, I'll just finish what you were saying right there. And then I want you yep. to continue. Um, so it's more like the proton is stable at the proton level, right? If you break it apart, neutrons are not stable, quarks are not stable. Nothing else down there is stable. The proton is pretty much the only freaking stable thing at the quantum level down at that scale. Right. And then if you go all the way up, the entire universe has a level of stability. And so there's this sort of holographic relationship. And Nassim has done a lot of great work on this recently with his new um, Cosmological Constant paper, which I I recommend checking out. And it's literally talking about the stabilization of a whole universe and the relationship of the entire universe's stabilization to the individual proton and the holographic relationship between them. Um, Now, all the things in between... (laughs) <laughs> we've got some stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Is there any evidence of it's trying to stabilize? Well, I think, I think there is plenty of evidence in the universe that there is a, a sort of a process of uh, synergetics that's going on where we actually have um, not just empathy, not just the process of everything going into more and more chaos, which is often the way that we perceive it. But that actually really only applies in closed systems. Um, but a sense of centropy where everything is actually ordering itself at higher and higher magnitudes. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't get galaxies, and then you know, solar systems, and then planets, and then you know, molecules organizing into DNA, and then life, and then life evolving. And like, this is all centropic. This is not. This is not a sign that everything is going to chaos. This is a sign that actually more information and more order is being contained within the envelope of the universe.
1: Yeah. It, Cause it, I can't remember what exactly it was that you said, but something triggered uh, when we were speaking with Jim Alvidge and he's a big proponent of the digital universe. But the last time we talked to him, he was talking about how there's evidence that the universe is actually trying to solve some sort of a pro- problem. Like eventually it's going to get to a point where it solves itself out. And what happens then? We don't know. But that's yeah, exactly. But that's kind of what took him (laughs) to the point of thinking that you know, it's running some sort of a simulation. It's got an end game. It's all gonna you know, however many millions or billions or trillions of years down the road, it's just ding done, and you know, some form (laughs) prints out and
0: (laughs) click. (laughs) Yeah, sounds sounds pretty reasonable to me.
1: So I wanna get I wanna get uh,
2: get into some more of the spiritual stuff a little bit. Like you mentioned how breaking down those lenses from your past childhood type thing yep. could help, you know, allow this into to to have different points of view and stuff like that. What about the uh you know, like you've done a lot of work in your past lives as well. I mean, I remember you talking about uh your past life and in, in uh in a stone circle, I think sort of looking for contact or something with people. So, is there also some unconscious cages that we can break down through past life work? And, like, does that also, is that also a part that, you know, that we have to get around or deal with as far as blockages go?
0: It's a huge factor. And it's one that most people are not accounting for very much. I didn't either. I mean, growing up, it took me until I was, you know, several years into my kind of downloading the structure of the universe process to even consider reincarnation. And I and I didn't. I, I was just like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't do I care. What should I have a reason to care? Um, and then it actually took meeting somebody that I had a series of experiences with where, you know, the first time I was sitting in a college dorm room and I'm drinking a cup of coffee and um I was dating this girl and her roommate is sitting over on her bed and talking to these two girls in college. And I'm sitting on this chair drinking my coffee and talking to these two guys. And I look over at her and all of a sudden, I was in a medieval ballroom. And I could smell the oil burning in the oil lamps. I could feel the kind of mustiness of the tapestries hanging on the walls. I could feel the straps of my ornamental armor kind of digging into my shoulders. My ornamental sword and you know i was wearing this cloak and i'm talking with these two lords about protecting our grain trade between these lands where we go through this valley with these trains of grain as we're like you know trading goods and they kept getting raided by uh brigands and so we're literally strategizing how to you know protect this grain trade And I'm looking at her and I know she's like this woman that I love. I could feel all of this love and she's like giggling and her hair's up and, you know, she's got little things hanging in her hair and this elaborate dress and she's giggling with her ladies. And I'm just like, God, I want this woman, you know? And, and, and it's like all, all the feelings, all the intensity, all the physical stuff. And then all of a sudden I'm back sitting in the dorm room and my mouth is open. I'm saying something to these, two kids who to me were just medieval Lords a second ago. And they're looking at me like, Adam, are you, are you okay, man? And I was like, uh, I need some water. So I get up, I go out in the hall, I go to the water fountain and I like drink some water and I go back into the room. And as I come in, I look into the bathroom and because they had the bathrooms right by the doors in these old dorm rooms. And I see this girl and it was my You know, girlfriend's roommate, who I'd had this vision with, and she's washing her face off, and she looks up at me, and her eyes are wide, and I, and she was like, "Did you?" And I was like, "Oh my god, you did too!" And she's like, "Yeah," and we were both like, "Holy crap, what do we do?" I mean, here I am, I'm dating her roommate. You know, What, what do you do? You just have this vision of somebody from like the Middle Ages, you feel all this love and all of this stuff. And, you know, I'm just ejected from my current reality, like in the middle of a cup of coffee in an afternoon at college, you know, what do you do with that information? And I I just put it aside for a bit because even though, you know, I started having dreams with her, I started having other memories with her, I'd see her across campus and all of a sudden she's a Japanese woman walking to a village with a basket behind her head and I'm, you know, wearing samurai armor and I have a horse behind me and I'm standing at the edge of the woods and I'm feeling all the anger at her partner because I knew her husband was beating her. Like it was just like spontaneous stuff, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And um, and it took going to this uh, this party um, on Halloween and there was a guy there who I didn't really know and she didn't really know him well either. He was dating one of her, her girlfriends and he gets super drunk and he starts blabbering and like apologizing to me and to her for these crimes he committed to us in the middle ages (laughs) and uses the names that she and I had remembered faintly from having these memory experiences with each other, but hadn't told anybody because first of all, I don't want my girlfriend to find out that I'm having past life visions with her, (laughs) you know, her dorm mate. And, and he's, he's crying and apologizing. And I felt all of it so deeply. And, and all the way to the memory of him and I battling in my courtyard and killing each other. Wow. And it was so visceral um, and so intense and so like beyond what I could, you know, explain, but I I had to start studying this. I, I, I decided, you know, I have to look at this logically now. I need to actually understand what's going on here because that is something that, like, that was, that was proof beyond me just having some kind of fantasies about a girl, right? Um, and, and at that point, I started studying, and I started realizing that more and more people were coming into my life that I had connections with in other times. And I had to start dealing with that information. And as I did, and as I started to accept these things, I realized sometimes I had to deal with the pain. And the, the hurt and the nitty gritty stuff of what I had to deal with in the past, it's not about aligning yourself to the archetype of some great being and thinking you're Alexander the Great or Cleopatra and, wow, I'm just like Alexander the Great because I have a successful company. you know A lot of CEOs do this, but that's, that's not the freaking point. And when you're doing that, you're connecting with an archetypal stream of a being. That's not actually direct experience. Direct experience is remembering your mom dying. Direct experience is remembering your village being burned. Direct experience is dealing with the pain and the love and the intimacy that you had with people and the relationships that you had in another life. And I started working my way through a lot of different lives and facing the really hard moments and also the blissful and beautiful ones. And I started to see how you know, my own concept of who I was, had been very, very limited. And that who I actually am is a being that has had a much larger journey than the shy little kid, you know, in middle school who, you know, couldn't get a girlfriend, you know, or like the dork in in early high school that, you know, hit it, hit it home and was a hacker, you know, in order to just like, find something interesting to do before I started waking up. And, I realized that those are parts of me, but that who I am is a lot more than that. And as I started accepting all the parts of me, the good and the bad, I started realizing that I had been integrating skills from my other lifetimes since I was a little kid. I, I, I automatically had started you know, doing martial arts when I was very, very little. And whenever I would take martial arts classes... I often felt like the teacher was doing it wrong. And I would talk back to the teacher and then I'd just leave the class because like I didn't feel like they knew what they were doing. And, and, and as I got, you know, into my late teens and into college, um, this, this woman who eventually she and I actually got together and we were partners for about four and a half years, um, she gave me swords as gifts. And each sword that she gave me Whenever I put my hands around it and felt that sword, a part of me sort of instantly remembered <clears throat> using that sword in a specific time in a specific life. Wow. And suddenly the whole form of that sword, whether it was a massive Celtic two-handed sword or the precision of a katana or like the detail of a small English longsword you know, would move from my body. And, and this got me really thinking like, wow how many times do people go to like learn things that they're excited about or that they resonate with and they think they have to start from scratch. Yeah. But what if you already spent 30 years developing the skill with something? Why not reclaim that skill now? Yeah. And, and what that requires is really just being open to like, what kinds of things are there now that also you may have learned in the past, like cooking or writing calligraphy or doing sword play or gardening, farming. I mean, there's all kinds of gifts that, that, you know, we pass to ourselves through time. And I think they're very, very valuable and worth finding.
2: Wow. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I've never thought about it in that respect with, you know, like I, I, I thought of, I think I had a one little past life regression where, one? Uh, where I was in like at 11, the year 1110 or something like that. And I had a, A shield, and I've I've always had this chronic. I had a a bad, bad elbow, and and I've always thought that maybe that's from getting you know beat with the shield or you know beat on the shield a lot. But I never, I never really translated that. And I've always been interested in the past life healing part, like people that heal phobias or, or deep issues by just acknowledging that there was a past life. They don't even have to do a lot of work around it. It's just the fact that they saw that 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 yeah. was a problem in a past life is enough to dissolve the, the phobia. But I've never really thought about it in that way. Bringing something like that could be why we have phenomenal, you know, whatever. I mean, even, even it might not even be the same sport or art. It could be very, something very similar, you know, and all it takes is tweaking it to, right. to be, you know, the Michael Jordan of something. What was basically. your thing then, you think?
0: Just getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I can tell sense. you, man. <laughs> getting hit with a mace yeah wall shield, <laughs> yeah that hurts bad and if you're defending somebody that you really love and care about uh, and whether you succeeded or failed either way yeah. you know there's yeah. there's an impact that's left in your body from like yeah, yeah. having this experience of yeah. like taking the beating yeah. you know yeah yeah um, and and it's that's true of so many things you know like gosh it, like whether you're there's a lot of intense stuff that's that can happen in a lifetime. Right.
2: Yeah. So I want to, I mean, we're, it's flying by. So I want to get a couple other things. I wanted to talk to you about a couple things. Maybe we can just go from there. Like your contact in the desert experience and how things have shifted in that whole community. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting time right now. Like you mentioned seeing, you know, craft coming out of uh, a couple mountains there and the disclosures made a lot of headway lately. I mean, Bob Lazar was just on Joe Rogan and the whole, um, Navy, Navy pilot thing is coming out, and we've got groups all over. Like we do, ce fives as a group as well. And I wanted to ask you a bit about some of our experiences and what you thought about that. But then there's also the the spiritual, practical, magic aspect of what you've learned with the <clears throat> the sacred geometry. And you, you mentioned it a little bit, like your how a thought is a is a thing. So, do you have any tips on putting? Focus thoughts or intentions into uh into you know a sacred geometrical thing that can help help you be (laughs) help you be better do you know what i mean like like do you use any of that in your meditation or your spiritual work or practical magic or
0: you know yeah yeah of course of course um we can touch on that briefly because i know you want to get into some other really juicy stuff so um you know one of the most (laughs) powerful methods of using geometry and consciousness to 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 make things happen is doing vision boarding. Um, And and specifically like do a vision board on a giant piece of poster board, draw a circle to start with and put what you wanna create inside that circle. This is how I've manifested houses, cars, things, money when I needed it. You know, I would do a small circle on a piece of paper. I was like totally struggling. I had no idea how I was going to pay the rent. I'm like, I need this in o- and I need these things in order to make this happen. And I need it within this amount of time period. And, you know, there's lots of tricks and techniques. You can like take words in a phrase and you remove the vowels and you just use the, sigil, the consonants, yeah,
2: sigils, sigils, those sigils,
0: consonants yeah. as symbols inside of a circle. Yeah. And, you know, the vowels is the ohm. A-I-O-U-M, right? And the A-I-O-U-M is the vibration of the feeling and the energy that you're putting through that. And so, you know, any idea that you have, whether you put it on a piece of paper or it's in your head is a crystal, it's a structure, it's a geometry. And that geometry or that structure is only going to be as alive as the energy that passes through it, because it's also made of light. And as you put energy through it that's what we call emotion energy in motion it's the feeling that you pass through that crystal so what does it feel like to have that house or that car or that thing or you know manifest you know that healing experience for your family member that's hurting what does it feel like to move through this crystal and have it be fully actualized and then the third step is what do you do to anchor that crystal and that feeling into matter and this is a really really important piece and this piece involves the pentagram often because that's literally the geometry of grounding it's Mm -hmm. literally the geometry of gravity this is why the ancient cultures use that to call in the rain to you know make a storm to make fertility happen and a lot of people are really blocked at that step and the reason they're blocked at that step is often because maybe they're Christian and maybe going back in Christianity, they heard that the pentagram means the devil. And it means that, you know, that if you use it, you're using magic and you're evil. Well, guess what? You're basically blocking your root chakra and you're disconnecting yourself from the process of gravitational fields and how they form matter. Like, I'm not saying anything's wrong with Christ and Christ's teachings. I'm all about it. I think Christ was the man, but, but you got to get rid of the, the sort of curses placed on the early Germanic tribes by the Roman Empire, because those were just created literally to disenfranchise a bunch of people, destabilize them, and then be able to take over and convert them. It wasn't because there was anything at all evil about Pan. Pan's just about sexuality and fertility and like life force energy. And, you know, when, when Pan became the devil, that was literally the time period where the Dark Ages started. And the plagues spread across Europe, and you start to look in and you start to see these sort of connections, and it's like, well, there is some serious stuff that's gone down in the past. Yeah, well, um, it's not
2: only Christians. I mean, other people. I mean, I, most of us have a negative uh, connotation with the pentagram. I mean, it's it's hard to you know
1: it's 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 been
2: really sort
1: of. That's because we're a Christian culture, well, I think.
2: No, I don't know. Yeah, probably. Probably Yeah, probably. So is yeah. there, a, but is there a difference between an upside down one and a, and, a, and a right side up one? I mean, is there a, a way box. to
0: everything is spinning?
2: Yeah,
0: everything is well, spinning. Yeah, yeah. In the... the upside down pentagram. The upside down pentagram was was placed with the goat head in it, right? The horns coming up, but that that horned goat god or whatever that was labeled as Satan um, was Pan, and Pan is the 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 pagan sort of early Germanic God of fertility, which creates life force, which allows people to propagate and have children. And so, well, yeah, if you don't want them to have children as much and you want to make, you make sexuality bad, right? You start implanting your own calendar. You start taking their sacred dates like Samhain and you make it all Hallow's Eve or Halloween. You take winter solstice, you make it Christmas You take Ostara, you make it Easter, you know, this are just, it was co-opted. There was kind of like a, a thing that went down and, you know, a lot of people don't really understand this history and it's an important one for us to really reconcile and actually make the peace on earth that Jesus was talking about and loving your enemies as yourself and starting to realize and recognize that we've, we've sort of cursed things and blamed things um that that really never needed to be cursed or blamed at all and and in fact if we want to make peace we have to start accepting that everybody has wisdom and they're just coming from different traditions yeah we have to love them as ourselves yeah and the big
1: three came from the same book guys so chill out seriously
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly so anyway mentally heptagram emotionally hexagram uh physically pentagram mind emotion and body that is how things in the universe are created and it's it's there's nothing evil about that that's just how the universe works that's the physics of reality yeah tomato. it's like
1: tomato tomato except instead they took tomato and made it into fucking kill everybody else hate you know they just really took a beautiful thing and turned it into a i shouldn't say that it's coming i shouldn't say that there's a lot of beautiful stuff in all the religions there is um on the best side of it. But there's also a lot of terrible shit on the, on the bad side of it. I mean, to the point of whether it's, you know, not just at the war level, there's the internal shame level, there's the, um, it's just, let, let's not go down that road. Let's go no. down ground.
2: Okay, road. A,
0: I don't want to waste the time down okay, that road. A, tell us about
2: your, your experience at Contact in the Desert. Then Let's switch gears to that because that was a great experience oh, sure, on
0: the bad yeah, that was a great conference. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've heard about and known about Contact and Desert for a very long time, because I've had a lot of friends go and speak there yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, and regularly be part of it and um, never really went because of two things one is usually I had stuff booked around that time. And the other is just like, you know, I've just taken care about where I go and how I take, where I take my information. And, you know, I wasn't totally sure it was like a good place for me to share, you know, my work, um, the balance of the science as well as the sort of metaphysics and my galactic experiences. Um, but then I met Victoria Gavoyan and she came and heard me talk in a giant pyramid in India, um, at a, uh science and spirituality festival that happens there every year the global festival of spiritual sciences and um i did this big talk uh and afterwards she came up and she was just like you have to come please <laughs> so i i set it aside i set the dates aside booked it i'm definitely going back next year too i had a great time i had a great crowd um even not being that well known within that circle uh-huh. um, i had a great crowd in my talk and I ended up doing like I think four different talks. I did Whoa, my wow. keynote, I did a workshop, I did an intensive, and I had the deep honor of being on a panel with Graham Hancock, um, who's been a friend of mine, and I just love I love Graham. He's he's such an amazing man. Um, and James Gilland was on that panel too, Hanovi Strongdeer, and JJ and Desiree Hertak, which I've known for years, and they're good friends of mine too, and um, just absolutely love them because. Keys of Enoch was, you know, one of the first kind of uh, spiritual books that I came across uh, in my late teens that when I opened it up, I was just like, oh my God, these people have cracked some codes. Like, I'm going to have to like really up my game to even understand what's in this thing. Um, And it's to this day is one of my kind of most sacred books. It's an amazing book. What was the panel on? Ah, uh, the panel was on uh, I believe uh, science, spirituality, and contact, something like that. okay,
2: all right, yeah, cool. So I heard some complaints, and I, I mean, just a couple of of some a bit of censorship from there. i mean were was there any like any kind of i don't, i know there's yeah. i know it's kind of like a bit of a <laughs> A divided divided community anyways like you like you already mentioned but well uh,
0: there, there was definitely some rocky points yeah, um, yeah. And, you know and i i i don't ever want to speak badly about anyone yeah way, no you know, no i'm not
2: and i'm like, not asking that either kind of so thing. yeah
0: um because i i do strongly feel like especially in this community like we need to stick together we need to form yeah. alliances we need to come strong and i'll also say that I don't care how famous you are, like, be, be clear when you're teaching, like, if you've got a 1000 people in your audience, what you say really matters. Yeah. So if you if you're just kind of rolling along, and you happen to say that, you know, um, that you think the pyramids were created at the time of Akhenaten and Nefertiti, you know, and then you go on to talk about how all the pyramids were built prior to the Ice Age, like, you're going to be causing a problem because right, right. people are not going to understand. They're going to misplace where Nefertiti and Akhenaten are in the timeline, and, yeah. and there's just issues with that, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there's also some challenges because, um, you know, you have, like, a beautiful young guy like Jordan Sather talking on a panel um, with his Space Force T-shirt on, and and then, you, you know, when, when the conversation sort of ramps up to being like about how Trump is the best thing for disclosure, you're gonna start creating divisions because yeah, yeah. people are, there's a lot of people who have very, very strong political feelings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, now all of a sudden you've got the audience divided and you've got half of them cheering and you've got yeah, half of them yeah. going, oh my yeah. God, what the heck, where am I, yeah. you know? And, it, and it's like, we, we have to be cautious about these kinds of things. Um, and, and I think stay focused on the mission together. And stay focused on being accurate and clear um and and i also would like to see a lot more women being really supported and brought forward at contact in the desert there are so many amazing women speakers out there and channels and um and i i would really like to see a much stronger contingent of the sort of female powerhouses out there at conferences
2: yeah so just a few notes no that's that yeah that's that's very interesting So what do you think about – so we go out – I mean, the CE5 thing is something we talk about on the show. We go out there um, and, you know, you've you've experienced your your own sightings and stuff like that. And one of the main things that that happens to us only over the last couple of years – so this kind of leads to also more of a question on disclosure too. I mean, is it, is it already happened? Is it happening? Where, where's it going to go in the next couple of years? But, but the one thing we see fairly consistently now is pretty big flashbulbs. Like we see flashbulbs that seem to be communicating with us. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we've, well, we've seen craft as well, low flying craft, <laughs> low flying uh, unidentified craft, but it, any thoughts on, on the
0: flashbulb yeah. thing? Well, you know, I think a lot of times when the ships are in a position where they, they can't really do much flybys, Uh um, flash bulbs is the best way to kind of signal that they're paying attention and watching.
1: Um,
0: like we, we did a little C five, the first night of contact in the desert. And I sort of led people through a meditative experience of understanding and connecting to their star nation connections and Mm -hmm. lineages, um, by telling sort of some of the poetic story about some of the different species and about uh, their ways of life and their, their what their planets are like. And what I find by doing this in crowds uh, of people often is that, you know, literally I'll be lighting up different parts of the crowd because a lot of the different people there already have connections with these different star nations and, and they may not may or may not even be conscious of it yet, right? But getting to know that sort of familial connection point um, allows people to open up a lot deeper. They they release the fear of experiencing something that is uh, external, that's unidentified, that's alien, that's extraterrestrial, and they start looking instead for their star family. Hmm. They start looking instead for those beings out there that they already know they have a connection with. And, uh, and literally as I finished up this session with these beautiful musicians, you know, and kind of was about to like, about to leave and kind of leaving people in this state of meditation, I start getting the flashes from a craft kind of moving around at different points right up here in the sky. Um, and you know, and, and I think that when you're in the right kind of situation you have the right people and the right vibe and energy together, um, it's a lot easier to bring in a ship down low and have much more direct contact experiences. Um, you know, they'll do flybys and confirm questions that you're asking. They'll astrally project right down and hang out with you if you're sensitive to that kind of thing. you know, have full telepathic conversations. Um, and it's just because, you know really like you're dealing with uh, a like a literally an interplanetary interstellar culture. That's already developed the capacity to travel faster than light, which means they've already developed the capacity to travel with their consciousness. So astral travel is like no big deal. Astral projection is actually required to pilot a starship faster than light because you're definitely not using radio waves in order to like establish whether there's a ship in that location that's, you know, five light years away. Yeah. You're not doing it. It would take five years or 10 years for the waves to bounce back. Yeah. So,
2: Well, now you got to explain that because I heard you articulate that because yeah. I've always had it in my head that that might be how it works, but I've never been able to really picture it until I heard you say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, okay, basically, it's kind of like this. You know, you can't travel across the galaxy um, and know where you're getting to unless you have some kind of information reference point for where you're traveling. To. So there's, there's sort of a, a couple major approaches to this. One is to say, well, interestingly enough, if I was to somehow try to calculate my ship traveling to another point by matching the, the quantum frequencies of that location to create quantum coherence, so to speak, between where I'm at and this other location, then what would be the best tool I could use? Well, you'd probably say stars because stars are these big, gigantic reference points. So if I want to travel to a certain star, I want to triangulate my position to that star at the position where that star actually is. And to some extent, technologically, I can predict, you know, how far a star is going to travel. If I've watched its motion over, over a certain period of time. However, the unfortunate thing about using normal stars is that even though they have a very, very specific spectral band of frequencies, what we call the, um, the sort of composition of the star or the spectral analysis of the star, um, those change over time because the star is burning those materials. And if the star is 400 light years away, well, it's 400 years further in its gas burning process. Or 1,000 light years away, it's 1,000 years further in that process. So they're not really great markers, Um, but it turns out that there's something in the galaxy that does form an amazing navigation system for markers of spectral analysis, and that's pulsars. And interestingly enough, I I came across uh, Michael Sala many, many years ago, and he was doing a talk where he was telling me about this this work where a a gentleman was writing this book um, discussing that he believed that pulsars were an ancient interstellar navigation system. And, and I would already been thinking like, well, yeah, of course that makes sense because pulsars have a very, very calculatable fall off of their spin rate. and We know exactly how fast it's going to pulse and exactly what its spectral analysis is going to be after 500 or a thousand or even 10,000 years, you can predict the sort of life cycle of a pulsar much more cleanly than a normal star. So now you've got this sort of navigational beacon system all over the galaxy based on pulsars, but you still have the problem of even if you've triangulated the position that you're going to go to, even if you've triangulated the movement of those stars over time and position, you still have to somehow get the craft from here to there. And the only way to get the craft from here to there and actually do the final check and positioning is through using consciousness because consciousness has this capacity of remote viewing as has been proved over and over again by Princeton engineering anomalies research group. There's been declassified files on remote viewing and made available to the public. This is not a fringe science. I mean, literally Princeton's main like engineering anomalies research group has been studying this for 20 years now. And, you know, I've been following their work in this and consciousness has the capacity to literally see another location gain information about it and relay that information back to the body so if you want to pilot a ship the best way to do it is to have a feedback system hooked up to your body where you are astral projecting or remote viewing another location and you're bringing the information about that location into to your body to what you're experiencing and you're communicating that information to the ship and so the ship becomes in a sense an extension of your own body's capacities yeah yeah
2: that i mean it kind of makes sense it's I like
0: mean, a uh, microphone
1: or uh, not a microphone a megaphone it like amplifies your uh your witchiness
2: i don't know i mean it even makes sense like you <laughs> know what lazar was talking about the the little seats inside the sport model and in, in, in the area 51 loadout, you yeah. know there's no panels. There's no nothing. It's, it's fucking, just they connect. They connect to it. You, you jack p- in, fucking project, matrix project, style. Project your consciousness there. It's yeah. right. That's, that's
1: right. what the and that's, that's what where mean, the probe came from. That's actually the uh, the the hookup.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the disclo- <laughs> quick So violated. I know I know we're almost out of time here, but uh, disclosure. Has is it is uh, it happened? Is is it, what's going on? Is it gonna? Like where, yeah. I mean, it's, well, everything has changed so much in the last few years. I mean, it, it really is uh, it's uh, somebody that's been into UFOs for as long as we have. It's, it's, it's kind of what we've always wanted to happen. You know, it's not necessarily happening in the same way, but Hey, the mainstream media is taking it a little bit more seriously. You know, everybody's kind of taking it a little more seriously.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, you know, as, uh, as Steven likes to call it, the truth embargo has yep, yep. fallen apart and, you know, they they're, they're when you really look at it and i've been i've been telling this story since 2005 2006 that you know the reality is that the reason why um this information has been blocked for so long has mainly been because of fear and it's mainly been because of misunderstanding and not cl- lack of clarity about the information in particular and you know you look at the war of the worlds broadcast in the 1940s and then got mass panic from people thinking that extraterrestrials are coming down and you follow that up with Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> so like, of course you're going to tell people it's a weather balloon, like right after that, you know, within a matter of a few years, are you going to go and say, yep, it was a spaceship, you know, like, no, people are going to freak out. And and so you can see sort of this resistance structure to that um, kind of play out over a very long period of time. And then you've had, you know, Rockefeller Initiative and certain things go down over time. Um, Stephen Bassett talks a lot about Rockefeller Initiative, Paradigm Research Group, yep. studied it a lot, yep. where you have sort of subtle disclosure operations happening over time. Um, and it, it's, you know, this is, it's been obviously a staging process for a long time. And it got to the point, I think, recently where so many people are like, we know that all of that you guys are lying we know that this is bullshit like we've so many people out there have seen ships i mean you've got like you've got like the little town in texas that had like a giant spaceship fly over it and like half the town saw the thing you know it was like on the mainstream country news you know and then of course you've got all of these disclosure people that have spoken in the disclosure project and the citizens hearing on disclosure and Over and over and over again, pilots and astronauts and CIA and NSA and head counsel of the Iran Contra hearing, you know, exposing this stuff. And I would say, you know, that's the real disclosure is actually the people that have had direct experiences that have been seeing this stuff for a long time. The whistleblowers, like that's where disclosure is really happening. And then the the kind of the government, like the government sanctioned and approved release formula for like saying yes okay so ufos are real but we don't know if they're from other planets you know it's just kind of still trying to control the story
2: yeah yeah but and there it, is it getting away from my, my sense is it's it's getting away from it a bit it,
0: it it is and it will continue to do so because you know lies can only stand so long without yeah. collapsing on yeah. themselves yeah and even with the you know to the stars academy of arts and sciences where we've seen this kind of big push come through that you know, look at all, look at the roster of the guys. Yeah. These guys are all ex CIA, all, all black ops. And like, I would, I would question what they were putting out if they're putting out definitive information, but I would encourage people to go ahead and look at it anyway, because you know, at least, at least look at the fact that disclosure is happening at this scale. We can at least celebrate that, yeah. but make sure you take any definitive story with a grain of salt and, I, and I'd say always, you know, especially pay attention to anything that seems like fear mongering, because if it seems like they're trying to get you scared and, ra- you know, rile you up to create some kind of defense system from the, pl- for the planet against extraterrestrial beings, I would be very, very concerned yeah. um, because we do not, frankly, we do not need those defense systems. That time has passed a long time ago. And we have allies. We've got lots of allies supporting us in this transition. And, uh, and most of the fear campaigns out there are disinformation. campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that every being in the galaxy is good. That is total bullshit. Every being in the galaxy has their own nature, right? And, and you, you can't say any race is good or bad. And you also can't say any species out there is good or bad. There's bad actions and bad choices. What about snakes?
1: you agree snakes? that snakes are kind of <laughs> shitty? Really? Oh, come on. <laughs> are
0: awesome, dude. Have you ever snuggled with a snake? I mean, they're just so gentle and soft, and they just kind of like slither around. and They're really sweet beings, actually.
2: There you go. See, there you're totally wrong. <laughs> Look
0: at his face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, the snake ruined everything, all right? We didn't even get to the dragons. Oh, the dragon. the dragons. You got to slay the wow. dragon to save the princess. Uh, we're out of time. I mean, it is kind of ironic that uh, the mainstream media came around a disclosure just as we figured out we can't trust anything they say, uh, which is kind of frustrating, but we'll get past that. Well, we've
2: known that for a while, but it became of official. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so we appreciate your time, Adam. I mean, That's contact great, at the desert was probably a lot of fun. I mean, I think we got enough. Uh, Nasim Ambassadors. I mean, we'll do a contact at the cabin with you guys one day. I mean, I've already been talking to Alan Green about it a little bit. So we get you, Alan Green, Marshall, and Jamie. And we'll we'll go find
0: someplace cool to hang out and we'll uh, make a weekend out of it. Yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. And Alan is is epic, as you know. And if, you got, if any of you guys that are listening, you missed Alan's show, you should go watch it or listen to it on Grammerica and look up the Bard code, you know, and just watch his video, which, yeah. like, it's translates beautiful. patterns on the cover of Shakespeare's sonnets. He's just amazing. Yeah. He sent um, me and a our text. Robert Grant is also just such a brilliant man.
1: Yeah. Oh, we'll have to have him on, too. You should, yeah. uh, can you put me in touch? Can you send us both an email? Sure. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time and, yeah. uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, absolutely. We'll do this again. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch for sure.
2: Thanks Adam. That was great. Enjoy the rest of your night.
1: My
0: pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you.
2: Okay. And we'll put links to all your work and stuff in the show notes. Get, cool. make sure we'll get it. We'll get all that in there. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Okay. Right. Bye okay. for now. Thank you guys. Take
1: care. Have a great evening. You too. And that was a chat with Adam Apollo. Woo, that was great. That was a good one. Fantastic. 90 minutes flew by. Zing, 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 zing. It usually does. I'm telling you, we got to get all those guys together in a cabin someplace. Just one presentation after another. We get Jamie playing the drums. There the you dulcimer,
2: it. the hammer dulcimer.
1: That's a pretty cool instrument. Yeah, that's what it is. Not the drums. I was looking at he get probably plays the drums. Too. I was looking at getting one for the studio, but we didn't it was even like, talk about Adam's music. It was like twelve hundred bucks. Too. He's a DJ
2: too. I mean, he could do. We we could he could do, be DJing.
1: DJ and what? To electronic music. Just hey, DJ some shit. Yeah.
2: He's got a lot of free music on his website. Oh, it's we should use some on the show. Man. Oh, it's fantastic. I'll
1: email him see if we can we use can. some of his music yeah. on the show. Yeah. A big thanks Check to out his
2: website honestly It's fantastic Oops. He's got training and all kinds of stuff on there He's done some practical magic courses And doing this uh, oh, I'm interested in this quantum geometry one That he's got coming up That would be fun It's
1: all triangles
2: I feel like that is helpful for meditation
1: I'd go back and start watching some Buckminster Fuller stuff Yeah I think that's on YouTube Must be eh? Does he have books I can read? i don't know bucky probably, probably bucky ball bucky the physics slayer anyway uh check out slash support support the show we need support because without support it all comes to a grinding halt so keep lubing the system with your support dollars Grammerica.ca support sign up for a monthly on stripe then sign up for a monthly on patreon then sign up for a monthly on paypal or choose one or any of the above uh,
2: Email Graham at GrahamAmerica.com. Spam Graham,
1: at okay. I'm on the
2: Instagram. Okay. I'm on the Instagram. Darren's on Twitter. Well, kind
1: of. Twitterish. I'm Twitterish ish sometimes. Uh, seriously, though, guys, support the show. Uh, it really chats. does help. Do chats. all the stuff in the show notes. There's a chats. bunch of stuff in the show notes. Join the chats. GrahamAmerica.ca slash chats. Show notes, shit. Review the show, share the show, support the show. Um, do all that stuff. It matters. We love you for it. And uh, it really does make a difference. You might think a buck don't matter. A buck matters. If all you guys signed up for a buck a month, we could be doing a show a day. But uh, 99 out of 100 of you aren't willing to do that. Let's try and get that number down 82. to 98 out of 100 if you aren't willing to do that. And maybe even one day, 97. Uh, other than that, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next
6: week. Started writing down a list of things to do Number one on the list of things to do Was to write a list of things to do Number two on the list a little more nihilist Wrote down the cake is a lie There is no spoon Johnny flipped out, they put him in a rubber room Hide all your money under your mattress You call your enemy a fascist Somebody call an ambulance The sky is falling hide all your money under your mattress you call your enemy a fascist somebody calling ambulance the sky is falling started to carve my initials into a 150 foot tree forgot who i was where i was cut my hand and it began to bleed was only looking to leave my mark in the bark in the park now i'm in agony i have no name my legacy is written in the sparks in your brain Hide all your money under your mattress You call your enemy a fascist Somebody call an ambulance The sky is falling Hide all your money under your mattress You call your enemy a fascist Somebody call an ambulance The sky is falling Johnny crumpled up, threw away his list of things too Instead he got to jotting down his Lifeblood Legacy Manifesto Manifesto Live by principles of peace, mix it with charity Don't leave the next generation a world of scarcity Johnny wasn't a commie, he was my fellow man Johnny wasn't a commie, he was my fellow man Johnny wasn't a Nazi, he was a firebrand Johnny wasn't a Nazi, he was a firebrand